This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello everyone and welcome to Total Saints Podcast. This is the dedicated weekly podcast that Where TV and Fixture Scheduling allows of course goes to the heart of all things Southampton Football Club related. My name is Ben Stanfield, I'm the host of TSP and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Stanners. My wingman as always is Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at The Daily Echo and he joins us once again. Adam, it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast. How's things? A win finally to enjoy. Yeah, I know. How about that, eh? Who'd have thunk it? A win at last. Um, yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? In fact, it, I don't know why, but it hadn't really dawned on me till yesterday that it, how long it had been since they won a league game at St Mary's. But it's, uh, yeah, it seems a very long time ago now. Um, that's for sure. So it was, it was good. It was a, it was a, an uplifting day. Who knows whether it's um, going to be a definitive moment now in the season or defining moment in the season or whether it's a a bit of a, a full storm but at the very least it's nice to have a week to bask in uh, a victory rather than mm. just more misery really I know you mentioned that the clappers were back so have you finally got the uh, the ringing of those out of your ears yet or not they are dreadful oh my <laughs> goodness me they are dreadful and to be fair to Saints I did say to a few of the people of the club yesterday that was a ballsy move because a clacker can easily be a missile and I have a feeling if things would have gone badly at St Mary's at the weekend that there would have been quite a lot of them on the pitch by the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that they, they've ordered a job lot of those clackers and they're in some massive uh, container outside St Mary's and they're just desperately <laughs> trying to get rid of them before the end of the season. Yeah. I was, hopefully they don't order them again for next year. Well, maybe there'll be some left over for pre-season next season or something. They'll take them to China or something like that. But there we go. No, absolutely. So, well, as you say, I mean, there's not been uh, many Saints wins to enjoy this season. Uh, one in 21 Premier League games before Bournemouth visited St Mary's this weekend. So we're going to have a look back at some of the key talking points from a very important three points that just about, I think, keep Saints survival hopes uh, alive. We'll also preview next weekend's game with Everton. And sandwiched in the middle of that, I'll be talking to local Southampton councillor Andrew Pope and also... Also, John Bailey from Saints FC podcast about whether safe standing can become a reality at St Mary's in the years to come. This is Total Saints podcast, episode 34. 
Yes, this is not a drill. This is not a drill, I repeat. Saints pulled off a very important 2-1 win against Bournemouth this weekend, closing the gap on Swansea just outside the relegation zone to one point. Adam, everyone's agreed. Myself, Mark Hughes, all of the Saints fan base, every other journalist I heard. I think everyone pretty much in the universe, apart from yourself, that it was must win. And uh, in the end, a massive result. Yeah, well, it was a it was a big result. I mean, I, I think anything other than uh, victory and uh, survival would have really um, probably gone up in smoke. In reality, obviously, mathematically, it wouldn't have done, but I think realistically, it would have done. Four games left to go. Uh, that was clearly the um, the most winnable fixture, and it had to provide three points. I mean, it's only start. It's it's no way near the end. Uh, of of you know competing to stay up, but at least it's something. Uh, I think your summary there was right. They have a chance. Whether it's a good chance, mm, not convinced, but it's a chance. And given the the position they've been in, uh, that's about as much as you can ask. I think it's it's really odd because I've been looking actually back at the results, um, and it's strange how oddly that the the season's gone. In that when you look at a lot of the results of the teams in that bottom area of the table, the results have been strangely quite predictable. You know, you, you just thought a couple of weeks ago, the chances are Saints and Swansea are either going to swap places or it'll be really close because Saints have got a couple of games a little better. Swansea have got to play uh, Man City and um, Chelsea. Yeah. Sure enough, Swansea lo- lost those. In the same way, a couple of weeks ago, Swansea were thinking, we got to get a couple of points on the board here because... You know, we've got to take advantage of the Saint, the fact the Saints have got Chelsea and Arsenal, and Julie Saints lost to Chelsea and Arsenal. There haven't been many of those surprise fixtures, results that you expect at this time of the year, where somebody just raises their game and gets an unexpected. It's all gone very much kind of to plan, which will make the last uh, week of the season very, very interesting if it keeps on going like that. But the most important thing for Saints is they're in it, and at this point in time, and. You know, if they hadn't been Bournemouth, I, I don't think they really would have been. No. Why, why do you think that is then? Do you think that's just because the the quality of the top six sides, where if you're playing them these days, you don't really stand much of a chance? Or do you just think it's the pressure or the lack of quality in the squads that, that are down the bottom, hence why they're there? A bit of all think, of that? I think it's a bit of all of that, yeah, to yeah. be honest with you. But it is. I, I just was struck by how surprising it is when you look, all right, Stoke got a draw at Liverpool, which you didn't expect. But... Other than that, it's been it's really been quite predictable uh, in terms of you know games that you thought that they had a chance of winning, they either win or they you know, draw, and the games that you expect them to lose, pretty much invariably they've all lost. Yep. And it's been uh, it's it's weird like that. I mean, whether that continues or not, I don't know because if it continues, then actually trying to plot out how many points you think everybody's going to get is a is a more straightforward task. But, you know, I, I suspect it might get a little bit more unpredictable, especially when you, you get into those final games and you never quite know how opposition are going to react in the same way that um, had that game against Bournemouth been four weeks earlier, I suspect Saints would have had a much harder job on their hands than they had because, I mean, Bournemouth were, you know, talk about on the beach. I mean, they virtually turned up in their swim shorts and flip-flops, I think, for that game. Because, I mean, they, they were... Uh, I know a lot of the uh, guys who cover Bournemouth, obviously, and they'd said um, that, that, you know, they, they expected a reaction for this game because the, the internally in the camp, they'd been quite angry uh the fact that they basically packed up for holiday two, two games ago. Mm. Um, 
but there was no reaction. They just looked like, no, we're, we're happy to see it through now yeah. to the end of the season and, you know, make sure our legs are all right for uh, getting tanned in Dubai in a few weeks' time. Okay. So, um, and that was obviously a big help to Saints. That really did help them to, to get over the line, the fact that they were not playing anybody who really looked all that motivated, uh, but they still needed beating. Well, well, fingers crossed from our point of view that I know Bournemouth are playing Swansea next, aren't they? So hopefully they'll uh, get a bit of a reaction from that. And I'm kind of hoping from our point of view, and I know we'll talk about it later, that Everton might be doing the same thing. But look, I mean, the pressure was very much on Saints yesterday. So as a fan, it was um, great to see everyone really up for it because they could have easily thrown the towel in and sort of, uh, you know, given up. There was a, a cracking video that I saw Jim Lucas had put online of uh, Dusan and Charlie Austin celebrating at the end and we, we saw the clips of Mark Hughes and everything. So bearing in mind the pressure that was on and the fans obviously played their part as well. I mean, it was just one of the biggest games probably in recent memory and it was it was so rewarding really to see that everyone gave it 100%. Yeah, I mean, there was total commitment. There was a, And that came from the stands and all the way through the team. I am going to just say something now. <laughs> this, um, I feel a bit bad about saying this. And I was wondering whether to actually say this or not, but because it, it is a bit negative in what is mainly going to be positivity. But I, I had a tad of concern about what I saw at the final whistle yesterday and those celebrations. Mm. That that didn't encourage me. That discouraged me, to be honest. Because how often have we seen Saints this season kind of look like? They've got to a point where they kind of oh, they've thought, ah, oh, yeah, it's okay, we'll be all right now, or they've thought, uh, oh, you know, it's okay, we've we've lost that one, we'll win the next one, and we'll be all right. We're not going, we're we're too good to go down, we're too good to get in trouble. Um, I feel like that's been a theme really when you look at it now with hindsight throughout the season that they've there's kind of been this, we'll be all right, we just need one more game, we'll be. And even Mark Hughes talked a bit about it after the game yesterday about how players can kind of get in that mindset, and before you know it, you're not all right. Um, and yesterday, uh, the Bournemouth game was a big game, but as I said, that's the start of, of it. They 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 got a victory. Credit to them. They put in a very committed display. It was impressive. They did well, and and they got the win they had to go get. And I'm not I'm not begrudging them, you know, celebration. I'm not begrudging them anything like that. But there was I just saw a couple of times. If you close your eyes uh, and then open them again, you didn't know what was going on. You think they just won the title, um, and uh, that just just concerned me a little bit because yeah. there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work to be done yet, and they won a game that leaves them still in the relegation zone with three games of the season to go. Mm. So I think we, you know, I, I'm sure this is what Mark Hughes will be doing with them. So you know, and, and keeping feet on the ground and trying to um, focus and, and emphasizing this to them but I just hope there seemed to be this feeling around St Mary's of it's all going to be okay now but mm. I, I just felt like I, we felt that before a few times this season and it hasn't been okay and therefore I, 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 I would have preferred it to be a little bit calmer and a little bit more on the down low until such time as they can actually have secured their safety and to be honest even I would say then I, I wouldn't necessarily, personally, be entirely impressed with seeing people running around doing laps of honour and jumping about because this should not have been a situation that ever occurred. Yeah. And so, therefore, I don't think there's even anything to celebrate. I think it's a relief if they stay up, but not a cause for celebration. Yeah. And so, therefore, like I said I, I didn't almost didn't say it because I didn't want to seem overly negative, but it just, it just, there was a little bit of me that just thought this seems a little bit much given what's to come, and we need a couple more results before. You're really going to get into that, 
that sort of celebration mode, I think. Yeah, the tables have really turned here. Look, I think um, you, you make a um, very valid point. I, I guess, you know, you know, me trying to be positive, which sounds weird that the shoe's on the other foot here, but uh, I, I guess they sort of realised that that was such a big game and if they had lost it or drawn, that was probably season over and there was so much pressure on it and they had managed to get across the line and uh, put in a performance and, and you know, been really committed and given themselves a chance. So I totally agree with you. I mean, I think all of us were relieved at the end, but there's obviously different ways to, to sort of deal with, um, you know, relief in uh, um, sort of celebrating and those sorts of things but I think yeah certainly probably glass half full maybe was that they just realised that that was the performance they needed to put in it's given them a chance it's hopefully building some momentum now because you know with the cup game I think everyone's kind of forgotten that whilst we probably could have won the game you know we got the points at Leicester so we've got four points out of six now so there is a bit of momentum in the league but I think you make a very valid point I guess uh, as I say that would be my view on things but look I mean we, we've spoken quite a lot over the, the past few weeks about in, in games just one player standing up or you know at, at very best two but I mean yesterday three that sort of sprang to mind Alex McCarthy Mario Lamina and um, particularly Dusan Tadic he's had a, a rough 18 months but really looked um, you know really got stuck in and delivered when Saints needed him to uh, the most yeah well as you know with uh, Dusan I've, I've been a great defender of his um, and also feel like he's good value for his place in the team and I've also uh, talked up a lot about how I think he offers a lot more to the team than people give him credit for a lot of the time, and uh, I, I think it's great to see to have seen him be the one to kind of have his moment in the sun and, and be the hero because I, I think it's very well deserved for the amount of work and the amount of effort he's put in, and the fact that he's now uh, joint top goal scorer this season. Uh, I think says a lot. Mm. It says an awful lot. <laughs> Some of it's not good about <laughs> about yeah. other. It does say a lot, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless, it, it's good that he's contributed. He's really stepped up and and been a big big player. Especially, you know, he's improved a lot in the last uh, couple of months as well. His form, I think, his form's been uh, has improved, and uh, he's a key man for them. Um, Mario Lamina. To be completely honest, when I saw the team yesterday, I must admit I raised my eyebrows at the fact that Mario Lamina had retained his place. I think I was, we all did. Yeah. I was wondering what exactly he'd done uh, to deserve that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, but but he really went for it, in, in you know, and that was it was great and also frustrating because you're like, well, this guy's clearly got a lot about him when he really wants it. Mm. So why doesn't he always play like this? Why doesn't he always really want it? But nonetheless, uh, yeah, great performance and and yeah. Alex McCarthy, yeah, he played well. I mean, I, I was probably a bit less enthusiastic about Alex McCarthy the, yesterday than uh, than other people were. And it wasn't because I thought he played badly, but I don't think he made any saves that I didn't expect that he would make. But I think the thing that's encouraging about him, that has been encouraging for a long time, is I love how decisive he is and commanding mm. he is in the area. Yep, yep. I mean, he comes for everything. He I mean, does, at times you're like heart in the mouth, but yep. he, he has a great way of coming for it. He's very, very authoritative. He's happy to clean out anybody that's in his way to try and get the ball. And I, I think that it's, it's been a huge plus for Saints, he, you know, even in games that they haven't won, but just to have a goalkeeper with without uh, that kind of mindset. Yeah, he does seem um, cool, calm and collected. I mean, I, I watched the... Uh... It was game of the day, so uh, I'm sure there's people listening to Southampton Football Club uh, who wonder how some of us keep up with the games. But yeah, I watched the rerun on Sky last night as well, and um, he does. I mean, you know, I like that he's got confidence, and you, you say that about the saves, but you think of the sort of crisis of confidence Forster was having, and almost everything that seemed to be on target went went in. And you know, he did make three very smart saves, particularly that one at the end. So I think he's he's just someone that seems to have 
built some confidence at the back. I mean, we still look pretty shaky defensively. And I think, as you say, on another day, a, a sort of more ruthless Bournemouth side might have made us pay. But I think he's just added something back there. And um, I was going to ask about Mario Lamina as well, because I think we're all, I totally agree with you, we're all rather disappointed with his performance at um, Wembley. But, um, you know, he didn't play against Leicester and then was sort of back in the squad for um, for Wembley. And he's kind of been you know, niggling injury for sort of most of the second part of the season. So to try and give him the benefit of the doubt, do you think he was possibly not quite fit for Wembley and, and Hughes decided to chuck him in tactically or do you think he just realised yesterday he needed to give a performance after Wembley? My suspicion is it's probably the latter I think I, I think there's um, you know Hughes has spoken about there being uh, this, the, before the game spoke about there being you know this realisation moment almost in, in some of the players that we really are going down unless mm. we do something about this there's, there's no second chances anymore there's, there's no it'll be alright tomorrow um, which is uh, the attitude I was referring to earlier that I think has, I think Hughes has rightly said, uh, you know, he's, he sensed maybe was part of the problem here. Um, and I wonder if, uh, I, I might be completely wrong, but I wonder if Lamina is one of those that kind of was a bit sucked into that. I mean, I think it's hard for the guys that have, uh, you know, this is their first season because when they joined, this wasn't what they signed up for. <laughs> yep. They signed, you know, with all, with all due respect, I suspect those guys who came in a bit like Lamina came in to be in a ambitious, ambitious, upwardly mobile mid-table Premier League club in the thought that they'd be you know, playing for a couple of years here and then getting a nice move to somewhere that they really wanted to be. Yeah. And that's maybe a cynical way of looking at it, but I think that's probably the truth. That's our model, um, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why players come have come here. That's why agents have been happy to bring players to Southampton because they've been prepared to move them on. And, and as I've said before, the stance on Van Dijk, admirable though it was, from one or two agents that I spoke to about it, was suddenly saying, mm, there's some people who are a bit wary about bringing their players to Southampton now because if you're bringing a player from abroad, we, we might say, oh, Southampton's a big club. You'd rather go to Southampton than Watford or Swansea or, or whoever. But to be honest, to them, it's all the same. Mm. Uh, coming for, It doesn't really matter to them, but th- they want that assurance that they can come in, perform, and if they perform, then they will fairly be allowed to move on to bigger and better things for, for a suitable fee. Yep. Um, and so uh, I think to suddenly be a player that's played, you know, Mario Lamina played in the Champions League final, for goodness sake, and then to suddenly be, you know, <laughs> in a relegation fight when that wasn't what you felt you'd signed up for, um, is probably mentally you have to make that adjustment at some point if you're going to contribute, which is actually this is the time for me to roll my sleeves up and get stuck in. It doesn't matter whether this is what I wanted or not. This is the reality of the situation. That's what Hughes has spoken about. And I wonder if Lamina's one of those. I might be being unfair because obviously I'm sure part of his problems have been injury related. As you said, it's been a problem that he's had for a while on and off. But there also seems to be, as far as I could see, a shift in his attitude. And I hadn't really seen... I can't recall anyway as effective a performance from him uh, other than the first few games that he played. Yeah, yeah. Look, we've seen to have spoken numerous times this season. I mean, I remember being at Newcastle. We've spoken about the the West Ham game where Saints have conceded goals from corners, their own corner. So they've had a corner and uh, yet let goals in at the other end. So it was quite satisfying yesterday to uh, to see Saints benefit from that with a pretty swift counter-attack for the first goal. Both both goals were obviously well taken, Adam, but particularly that first one, it was nice to uh, to finally uh, sort of uh, benefit from uh, someone else's corner and uh, score in the uh, breakaway goal. Yeah, and it was good to see a counter-attack, wasn't it? I think yeah. all too often we've been frustrated by the fact that Saints have kind of had counter-attacking opportunities and have 
ended up within two or three touches back with the ball at the centre halves on the halfway line yeah, again. And yeah. uh, and there were even some instances of that yesterday and some groans around St Mary's. But actually, uh, uh, that was a real example of what uh, they have got some of that in their locker. They have got some players that can produce that. And, you know, also, I know he gets a bit of stick, but credit as well to Nathan Redmond, who really started that off with a pretty, uh, pretty good ball um, that he played very quickly that obviously then... Uh, set Lamina away and, and Tadic was, was in and, and a very cool finish so yeah mm. it was satisfying to see them execute a really good counter-attacking goal because they've set up as a counter-attacking team for the very vast majority of this season without actually being able to really counter-attack with any effect which has obviously been part of the problem my, my turn to go negative. I just wanted to ask your opinions on uh, zonal marking. It's something I hate. Obviously, Bournemouth's equaliser was uh, disappointing to, to watch. I mean, everyone got sucked towards the ball. Josh King left completely unmarked. Um, zonal marking is never something that I've particularly liked, Adam. But what's your view on it in general, that goal aside? No, I don't like it either. I'm, I'm much more old school. Uh, I yeah. prefer man-to-man marking. And then, you know, if you, you, know, if you can have... Spare men, you've obviously got the post potentially covered, or at least the far post, and you have one man uh, to try and attack the ball. Yep. And I, I think that that's the way to go, because the problem is you all too often you end up in the situation that Saints were yesterday. Saints set up zonally, um, and of course the ball comes in to the zone where the Saints players are, but they're stood still and the Bournemouth players are running in. So the fact that they've got that momentum behind them, of course they're going to jump highest, of course they're going to win the ball. Um, and then obviously you had the problem at the far post, uh, but I, personally I don't like it. But I know it's it's in vogue, it's fashionable. It seems you know I think it's seen as quite a clever way to do things. And I I do understand that there are pluses and uh, pros to it. But for me personally, I I don't really like it. And I, I it's amazing how many goals that I think it it leads to. And I don't I don't I think some things. Um, you look on the way that things change in football and styles come and go um, and you think, yes, this is progress. And other things you think, well, I'm not so sure in another two or three years that is as, as good as this seems now that this will, will be something that many teams are adopting. And I, I think zonal marking is something that I suspect is going to go out of fashion at some point as well. Yeah, I don't remember us doing it when you and I played under-18 football. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm the same. It's uh, And we never, ever conceded from a corner. Not that I remember, but then I was in goal. We hardly ever conceded at all. But uh, no. Oh. Was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I think the is. thing is, you know, you tend to find so many players that I are just... I think I put one past you once. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, no, um, but I think um, you, know, you just tend to find so many players ball-watching and don't know what they're doing, I think, with Zonal. I'm, I'm much more of a, a man-to-man marker. But look, the other, other thing I just wanted to pick up on, we spoke after the... the the Chelsea game about the the game management and and um, yeah I mean both I think it was Yoshida and Alex McCarthy both picked up late yellow cards yesterday for uh, I'm going to call it time wasting which I'm quite happy with so again you know it was a bit um, sort of uh, quite hectic at the, the 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 injury time the last five minutes but do you think sort of slowly but surely we're trying to learn from our mistakes and Hughes's uh, experiences sort of trying to get them to understand because we spoke about game management and the lack of it after Chelsea and obviously yesterday they sort of just about got there with uh, a, a, a bit of that really yeah I, I think there were signs that they were learning and that's that's a positive thing um was it Hoiberg who committed that yeah. incredibly cynical <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, it was as cynical as you could get <laughs> he, he looked um, quite disappointed to get a yellow card as well incredibly I know yeah. I don't know how he thought uh <laughs> he wasn't being booked for that but things like that you know just disrupting the play yeah it's uh it's a good you know or clearly it's a good tactic and there were signs that perhaps 
they're learning from it. Now, I think even though they probably felt under massive pressure, I must admit, um, from where I was sat, I, I had total confidence they were going to see that result out because I just didn't really see the Bournemouth were going to score. They just mm. didn't look, to me, as much as they... Obviously, they had a couple of set pieces and a couple of corners. They never looked like they thought they were ever going to score. Um, and I actually thought Saints saw it out relatively comfortably, actually. Like I said, I wasn't particularly nervy for them. I thought they I, you know, was pretty confident they'd do it. But they certainly showed that they've learned. I think they've shown as well, encouragingly, for, for Mark Hughes, that they, they've actually seemed to have picked up on quite a lot of what he's, he's spoken about. Yeah. And, at the end of the day, Mark Hughes is not going to be able to uh, suddenly turn things around completely. The reason I, I was talking to people before the game, and those people obviously are like, what do you think, how do you think it's going to go? And I said, I, I really think, having spoken to the Bournemouth players, it probably depends what Bournemouth turn up. Because if Bournemouth turn up and really go at them, they're really you know, defensively sound, and then they use pace on the counter-attack, then this could be a difficult game for Saints to get a win in, because... They do struggle under pressure. And even yesterday, Bournemouth had very little pressure on them. But even the odd moments, and it was only odd moments, it wasn't sustained periods, Saints did look a little bit vulnerable and a little bit wobbly. And I think that the truth is, that is likely to continue in the last three games. Because as we've spoken about before, that's a confidence issue. That's a mental issue. It's not something that you can just sort out in one or two games or one or two weeks. It, It takes a long, long, long time for things like that to reverse. And so I, I still think the remaining games will be difficult if you come up against teams who are more motivated and who put pressure on you. But Saints, if they're, if they're not under that pressure, at least show that they can play and that they can still score goals and win games. And that's, I think that's the most positive thing we have to take from it. And, and the, the lessons that Mark Hughes is trying to drum into them, one of which is this sort of game management cliche and uh you know some of the organization that you can see out on the pitch and some of the things they're trying to do they are sinking in so i think that's encouraging that a lot of the things that you feel like he can influence he is influencing indeed it was a massive result in the context of uh, the season big three points obviously was uh, much needed i was um, talking to the guys at love sport radio earlier today and they asked me a final question which was would saints stay up now um i said heart says yes head says no but i know we'll talk about everton and obviously we'll do a podcast next week adam but if i asked you now based on where saints are on the table and uh, the fixtures that uh, all the clubs have what do you think oh you're a swine i know Oh, it's so hard to call. It's so hard to call. I, I, um, I agree with you. I still think we've got an awful lot to do. I've got two really tough away games. I, I watched Swansea last night against Chelsea. I thought they looked really competitive and uh, they're certainly going to get in the Saints' faces. It's their last home game of the season as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I still think it's going to be really, really hard to stay up. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think the diff- I think a lot depends on Everton on the, and that result because they're the, the team that really have got nothing to play for. I mean, we could say Man City have got nothing to play for, but they might be playing for 100 points on the last day, which will obviously be an incredible fillip uh, for them to try and achieve. And they're just so good. And uh, uh, whether they're trying or not, that you're going to have a really tough day. So I think the difficulty for Saints is I think they're going away from home. And, and under normal circumstances, I'd look at these two games and I'd say, you know what, if you got two draws... You'd be happy. That would be that would be really good. That would be good, even given you know everything. But when you actually look, because of the games ticking down, two draws will not be enough. That is not going to cut the mustard. And so therefore, that is what worries me: is that you can actually still 
play pretty well, to be honest, and get what I consider to be some quite good results. And that's not enough. So it's mm. can you take that extra step forward? And that is going to be very, very difficult. You know, I'm, I, I, I feel like because I've been fairly positive throughout the season that I felt that they were going to stay up, that it would be foolish to, for me to suddenly flip flop. And so therefore I will be positive and say, I think they're going to stay up. But I, I do still feel that it is really on an absolute knife edge. And I wouldn't be stunned if they didn't, because it, it's going to be the, the, the games they've got are really hard. When you look at the ones that are in it, I'm, I'm just going to forget Stoke for just a moment, though they could come back into it, but they're probably not going to. When you look at it, it's probably, you know, Saints are obviously right in it. They've got the they've got tough fixtures. Huddersfield obviously were dragged back into it, and I think that could be very significant. I don't know that it will just be between Saints and Swansea, as a lot of the national media are talking about. I think they seem to have missed where Huddersfield are and their goal difference mm. and who they've got to play. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want Huddersfield's running at all. No, I agree. But then Saints is probably the next worst after that. Mm. Um, and it's all very well going. Yeah, but they've got to play Swansea. Yes, but we saw, in fairness to Saints fans, we saw against Bournemouth what a huge difference it can make in a game that you know that's monumental when you're at home and you have the support behind you. Yeah. And they're going to have that on, that on that Tuesday night under lights in Swansea. That is going to be a hard day for Saints. Mm. And what I think that Saints need is that they I, I feel that they really need to be the one that goes that it goes into that game feeling we don't have to win this we just have to make sure we don't lose this agreed and that means that you're ahead so they need to be ahead of Swansea before that game if Swansea is still ahead of them going into that game and Swansea are the ones with that mindset especially knowing if you're Swansea you've got to play Stoke and Saints have got to play Man City on the last day mm. I think that makes life really, really tough for Saints. I really do. So I think a lot, for me, hinges on Everton and, and what they can do there. A loss, a draw, that's, that makes life difficult. If they can get a, a victory there, then I, you know, I, I think they'll be okay. I think they will stay up. And I don't, because I don't think you can rely. There's people saying, oh, three points might be enough because of what Huddersfield have got left. But I don't think you can rely on that. And I, I, I actually think Huddersfield, have now almost got themselves, have now almost got, because they've got three such tough games to finish off with, are in a position that they're probably more comfortable with, in that they're probably going to go out for three games and go start every game with no ambition to win, but probably just go, let's absolutely work our nuts off and see if we can get a point, because they probably think, well, one point might do it now. And I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to wangle a point out of those games, especially given their home atmosphere, and they've got Arsenal on the last day, which is not a game that you feel like Arsenal are an unstoppable team, and particularly if they've got the Europa League final to come. So a lot of twists and turns, but yeah, to go back to the answer, I, I am going to stick with they're going to stay up, but blimey O'Reilly, I'm not saying it with any great deal of confidence. Now, you may have seen in the Daily Echo earlier in April an article about safe standing potentially being installed at St Mary's and what that could do in terms of benefiting the atmosphere there over the coming years. I'm delighted to say that the man who featured in the article, Councillor Andrew Pope, Southampton Independence Councillor for Redbridge, joins the podcast this week to have a further discussion about safe standing with momentum really starting to grow across English football on the subject. 
Alongside Andrew, we also have John Bailey from our friends over at Saints FC Podcast, who has also been quite vocal around the subject of safe standing, particularly on Twitter. Thanks to you both for taking the time to join us this week. Andrew, starting with you, I wondered if you could um, sort of let us know how you got behind and involved in the safe standing campaign to start with. I think it was five years ago in 2012, I went to a Supporters Direct and Football Supporters Federation uh, conference in, at the Connaught Rooms in London. Um, I think it was 2012, and I met someone called John Darch from the Safe Standing Roadshow, and he showed me rail seats. Um, I'd never heard of Safe Standing, and I'd never heard of rail seats, but actually looking at what they were with the rails between each row and being metal, um, I understood pretty much straight away once I'd seen them what it was all about, and I think that's really what needs to happen now in Southampton. So I'm organising a demonstration of rail seats here in Southampton in the near future. Tracy Crouch is obviously the government's sport and uh, civil society minister and had stated that there were no plans necessarily to change the all-seater policy at football stadiums. I think it's the Premier League and the Championship predominantly. So I think her view was that it was the, the vocal minority, I think is what she said at the start of April, around supporting safe standing. Um, since that date in April, over 100,000 people have signed the online petition to encourage the government to debate allowing Premier League and Championship sides to introduce safe standing if they want to. 100,000 people was the trigger for the government to consider it. So how important do you think it is now, Andrew, that the government do go ahead and have that debate? And how quickly do you think that could realistically happen? The momentum behind the Safe Standing campaign, I think it's inevitable that it will happen. We, as in Safe Standing campaigners, we're, you know, we're in touch with each other. Um, when I was appeared on BBC Radio Solent last year, um, I, I achieved another front page about Safe Standing in the middle of last year, I think it was. Uh, BBC Radio Solent interviewed me and um, I said then that it's not just it's it's not a question of if it happens it's just a question of when it happens mm. and the sooner that Tracy Crouch and the other dinosaurs in, in the Tory government actually get behind it the better so it's going to happen and they could really do themselves a favour bearing in mind that they're so massively unpopular Theresa May's government and that uh, they should they should back it now mm. and uh, that they might show that they've actually listened to fans um, it's it's going to happen it's just a question of when, and, and they shouldn't be living in the 1980s, which is what they're doing, I'm afraid. Perhaps they're all Thatcherites and living in the 1980s, I don't know, but the Conservative government has got to get behind it. All MPs should. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, good stuff. And just before we have a, a chat to John, then, I mean, I know you mentioned in your Echo article that it could help benefit the atmosphere at St Mary's, which I think we probably do all agree with, but how, how do you think that can sort of differentiate between the fact of people standing together and the fact that it's an all-seater stadium? What, what, what do you think could make the difference to, to make that atmosphere better? It's two, there's two aspects of it. I mean, John Darch um, of Safe Standing Roadshow has said to me that it's about safety predominantly. Um, atmosphere is secondary to that, and I agree with John on, on that point. Um, I've, I was at Labour. I was. At, I really sort of laboured the point with the Echo on their piece that it's more about safety. And to be fair, they they did cover the safety aspect. Yeah. And anyone that's been to um, a seat or an all-seater stadium will see, and including the mirrors in in two of the stands at least people stand at every match so yep. it, and it's just so unsafe yeah um you see people toppling over not because they've had too many of the highly overpriced beer um but but because it, it's just unsafe particularly when people get excited you know some, there's, a, there's a goal or something something happens um people become more animated and they topple over and they can take other people with them so it's totally unsafe at the moment uh, and it's just totally unrealistic so it's got to happen. From from an atmosphere point of view, it can it can be good too. I mean, if you've seen uh, Borussia Dortmund and the the green wall that they have there, I've said um, we've said that we you know, we want a red and white wall yep. at, at St Mary's. 
Yeah. We've got to have it. And, yeah. and we, we hear all of this stuff from the chairman, oh, we respect the fans, etc. and so on. Well, they need to put their money where their mouth is, mm. the owners yeah. of the fans, let's see, yeah. and, uh, and do it, because fans want it. It's not a minority pursuit. It's the majority of fans want it. I know because I surveyed them, and we've had our own local petition. 763 have signed, and um, we've done that petition started last year. Mm. I'm sure more people will want to sign that. But uh, yeah, it's got to happen. Um, we need to get with get with the fans and show a commitment to the fans. And I've been an advocate of fans having a say for very many years. John, I, I know we're both Saints fans. I was going to say sadly, but I'm going to say happily, actually. We're old <laughs> enough to have spent uh, many a year down at the Dow, and I, I certainly remember standing at the top of the Milton Rose stand before they made that all-seater in, in 94. But what, what's your sort of general view in, on standing, um, you know, in, in, in the lights of sort of the Hillsborough situations and those sort of scenarios? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get the kind of tiptoeing politically around Hillsborough, um, and I think, you know, probably the fact that we've now got a lot of momentum behind the safe standing campaign um, is basically because it's now been proved that Hillsborough, it, it wasn't the stadium that killed the fans. It was the incompetence of, of the people in charge of the situation. Um, you know, you can look at the Heisel disaster as well in um, Belgium. And, you know, there was hooliganism that, that was in that. But again, it was, it was actually the the ground itself just wasn't safe. It wasn't the fact that it was on terraces that the people kind of got crushed to death. But I mean, in England, Hillsborough is the one that we focus on. Mm. Um, and I think the fact that we can now kind of put that aside and realize that it wasn't standing that killed all those fans. Um, you know, we can now actually have a sensible debate about it. We can actually step away from the emotional side of things and actually look at it you know, from a safety point of view, from an atmosphere point of view, from a fan's experience point of view, it makes sense on, on all of those things. Um, and I, I think the other thing to kind of, that's an important point to make is nobody's saying that we should, you know, take football grounds back to the way they were in the 1980s. Well, you know, if you look at what they do in Germany, you look at what they've done at Celtic, you look at what they do in some of the, the kind of teams down in League One as well, there's much safer ways of doing standing terraces now and um you know you can manage them in the same way that you manage an all-seater stadium it just doesn't have to be unsafe at all there's no reason for it to be unsafe and and i think you know if it does get to parliament and the politicians are willing to open their eyes and listen um and actually look at the facts you know not just kind of go with the rhetoric that they think that their voters will will, will support them in but actually to really look at it it is an absolute no-brainer. You'd, you'd of course welcome it back. Um, it's, yeah. it's obvious to me. Yeah, I, I think you know Andrew makes a particularly good point. I think if you, you think of away fans these days, and that includes Saints when we travel away to all-seater stadiums. You saw it yesterday uh, with, for, for example, with Bournemouth. I mean, pretty much the majority of away fans, particularly, and you think of fans in the northern. I mean, I had a season ticket in the northern for for ten years. Pretty much spent every game stood up. So. Even yep. though we have all-seater stadiums and we have these, uh, you know, we have all these seats, and the fact is, and uh, there was that momentum early on that stewards would come up and get everyone to sit down. That's fizzled out over the years, and football and technology has moved on a lot, John, hasn't it? So it does seem like a natural step. Why wouldn't you offer that that p- people that want to stand up permanently that that option? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, I'm one of the there's people who probably goes to more away games than I do now games at St Mary's and one of the reasons is is that it's always more fun yeah. being in the away end with people standing up the atmosphere is better um, you know, it, it, safe standing works on all the safety points but as well from the experience of going to a football game it is better 
standing. Mm. If you want to have a sing, if you want to support the team, I'm the kind of person, I, I like going to the football, it's a release for me. I have a job where I work in an office, I'm very polite to everyone, <laughs> you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, oh, you I are, have a public persona, <laughs> exactly. When I get to the football, it's my chance to you know, stand up and shout. And, you know, it's it's great fun. And, you know, as well as being a, a Southampton fan, I grew up in um, Bath in the West Country. So I used to watch Bristol Rovers and Bath City a lot. Of course, their grounds had loads of standing sections. I've watched football all over the world. I've been to games in um, South America and, you know, Brazil and Bolivia. I've been to games on the continent. And it's just, it's always so much better in the standing section it's much more fun from a fan experience um you know now i kind of live you know pretty much right next door to the most modern of football stadiums in in london which mm. is the the london stadium west ham united mm. and you look at the problems that they've had there between their home fans it's been where they've got a mixture of fans that want to stand up uh, with fans that want to sit down and then they've had conflict between the fans in the london stadium in between the home fans themselves arguing about you know, whether people should be standing up or sat down. And, you know, if you have a safe standing area, then everyone wants to stand up, can go and stand there. Everyone wants to sit down, can go in the seated area. And you're not going to have that conflict either. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's just better on every single angle that you look at it. So, yeah. It's yeah. about choice. It's about choice. Um, mm. One of the misunderstandings that I've, I've received was that uh, I'm suggesting that uh, we go back to all standing everywhere and people that you know don't want to stand that's absolutely not the case mm-hmm. and since the beginning of this campaign locally last year um i said that we want to trial an area at st mary's that's all we want to do yep, yep, uh, yep. and it's about choice let's see how it goes yep. can't, but they can't do it until legislation has changed yeah. but but yeah. let's also remember that the premier that the premier league uh clubs uh, kind of have been hiding behind each other, and they often mm. do this. Um, mm. They hide behind the Premier League, and the Premier League hides behind the clubs, yeah. and no progress is made. So yeah. we need to break that barrier down. And thankfully, West Brom and other clubs have yeah. have come out and uh, um, supported safe standing. Sadly, Southampton have not. And yeah. Mr. Kruger's initial response to me wasn't particularly helpful. I yeah. have to say. Well, I was going to say because I saw Crystal Palace were encouraging people to sign the petition this week as, as well, Andrew. But yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, I was going to say obviously Saints haven't um, publicly backed it, or they they haven't necessarily publicly rejected it yet. I mean, obviously there is a lot no. going on at the club at the moment in terms of trying to maintain their Premier League survival. But I mean, have, have they shown any sort of positive signs whatsoever alongside what you just said there? I've just I've got the I've got the email from Mr. Kruger. Which took a while to arrive uh, from, from my from my initial request back in September. It was September. I thought yep. it was uh, early in the summer. And um, he said, "Thank you for taking the time to write to the club on this matter. I've taken note of the number of signatures you've received with regards to the petition to stay standing. But as always, we warmly welcome the views of our fans. I have to say, I don't agree with that last sentence mm. because there is no real fan voice at Southampton Football Club under these owners." Um, yep. He said that uh, Mr. Kruger goes on to say, our club has kept abreast with the topic of safe standing. We'll continue to monitor the development of this topic and we'll action what is best for the club and its fans in the future. Again, I have to say I disagree with that statement mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did say that safe standing was discussed in depth at the Premier League shareholders meeting in June last year. It remains a topic that's been reviewed in full by league leadership. As it stands, we are legally required to provide a fully seated stadium. We'll continue to revisit ways to improve St Mary's and it's important that we continue to develop the experience of a match day in a safe environment. And he said, I thank you for, for contacting me. I went back to him, didn't get any response after mm-hmm. that, um, which is annoying. But I have to say, under the you know, recent ownership, 
even the leader of the council, uh, when Nicola Cortese was around, um, had six meetings cancelled. Mm. So the current owners don't seem to want to engage with the council, yeah. and this is why I'm forcing the issue by having a motion at full council. Yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than people sort of dancing around the issue, let's. I want to see the other 47 councillors. I want to see the whites of their eyes and their actions rather than words and warm words from Councillor Moulton in the Echo saying, oh, I support this, but... I mean, Councillor Moulton hasn't actually done anything to help the campaign. Mm, so mm. I'm forcing the issue onto the agenda. And uh, obviously that's got your attention and the attention yeah. of, of Saints fans. Absolutely. And I think that was part of the reason of having the, the conversation on the, the podcast. I mean, obviously we realise it's yeah. uh, more than just ourselves that can play a part in this. And I, I think, you know, I'm the same as John. I love going to, to football. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky, Andrew. I'm six foot two, so I can see over the top of everyone if they're stood up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, th I think that's the, you know, part of the excitement is that you do. It's a release. Football's our, our passion. It's the national game and those sorts of things. So, um, look, what we did, I, I ran a, a poll on our Twitter feed just to ask um, fans what they, they thought of uh, the question was at this current moment in time would you back the introduction of a safe sand in section at St Mary's um, 83% Andrew said yes 6% um, said no the other 11% didn't care but uh, I think the fact is you know 83% of Saints fans and, and again we're only talking small numbers here in terms of uh, certainly not thousands of people but I think the fact is it is something that would be supported but I think we probably all understand it's it's the legislation it's the, the government having the time and, and wanting to spend the time really trying to sort of uh, look at that the first ones to do it is Shrewsbury Town yeah. in the top four divisions. And um, I'm informed, reliably informed, I think it's not Shrewsbury. Only people from outside Shrewsbury call it Shrewsbury. It's Shrewsbury. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but, but fair play to them. They've done it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the State Standing Roadshow helped them. The Football Sports Federation helped them as well. Yep. And you know, that's great. But they've yep. crowdfunded it. Now, yeah. I think to think that, that clubs that are spending eye-watering amounts on players and agents mm. should be investing some of that money in their fans. Yeah. It, it stands yeah. to reason that, that, that they should be doing that because fans are putting a lot of money in, uh, by, into, into the club. Mm. So they should be looking after them. The past of St Mary's, even though it's a relatively new stadium, they're, they're looking quite worn already. So I think kind of part of the problem is, is that the type of people that own football clubs now and that are directors of football clubs are not the type of people like us three who've been going to football games their whole lives, you know, been taken yeah. along by their dad when they're a youngster yeah. and experience, you know, football from many different angles, whether it's standing, you know, right at the very front of the terrace with their head just poking out above the uh, sponsorship boards or, um, you know, whether it's kind of, you know, all, all the way through in all those different grounds. And it, it's a shame because it's very difficult to get them to see our point of view of, of how we'd like to enjoy football matches. But I'm sure if you take someone like Kruger across to you know to a Celtic game showed the the standing seats working or took him to Borussia Dortmund and showed the yellow wall mm. um, that Andrew mentioned earlier you, know, you can see it it creates fantastic atmosphere and it can be done safely mm. I mean that with Borussia Dortmund in that whole terrace section 25,000 terrace uh, people they accommodate in that terrace they put all the seats back in for when it's a European game take them all out for, for it's a league for when it's a league game it can yeah. be done yeah. it improves the atmosphere it can be done safely and it can be put back If I mean if we do a trial decide we don't like it it can be put back to all seats straight away yeah. afterwards so yeah. Yeah. you know th there really is no risk we just need to get people like Tracy Crouch and the other MPs to just engage with the debate in, yeah. in a sensible manner and I think if people have a sensible approach then then they'll see they'll see our point of view yeah just but just before we talk about the future Andrew just on on that point I mean do, do you sort of 
feel that maybe the government's um, lack of wanting to look at it is because they don't want another Hillsborough-type situation on their, their hands, that they'd almost rather stick with what they got and not, not sort of change it and then be culpable later on if something does go wrong for some reason, an accident or whatever? I think the comments that, that, that John was making earlier on, and, and so you go, you're going back, if you're going back to, to the 80s, the bad old days of the 80s, let's not forget the context around Hillsborough. Mm. Um, I remember um, going to, my dad's a Leighton Orient fan, he's originally from East London, yeah. and uh, we went to see Leighton Orient versus West Ham, and I think it was uh, Paul Ince's debut, or it was the early days for Paul Ince playing for the Hammers, and it, it, it was great, but it was, it was a draw, I think, the, the result. The way that the police treated me, I was about, say, 14, mm. so 80, 83, 84 time, and the way that the police spoke to my dad, and to me, you know, two two young lads, um, you know, 13, 14 years old, um, was was outrageous. It, they treated us like we were pieces of dirt on their shoes, yeah. and that was because of the hooliganism at the time. And so, let's look at the think about the con the context. It, it's not just about Hillsborough; it's about the the entire context and the way. And this is why I describe Tracy Crouch as a dinosaur and a Thatcherite. It's because they're still thinking about those those times. Think, times have moved on, but but what the point important point I have to I, I have to make is that hooliganism has not moved on and it still exists. Mm. The policing that's that's still necessary is astronomical. Mm. You know, every every home game, the, you know, it's a it's a it's a military operation almost, getting the fans to and from Central Station to St. Uh, 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 via the Yates pub or wherever, um, and and the policing cost is huge. Um, it shouldn't be necessary, um, and I, I, I don't understand why Tracy Crouch and other government ministers are so uh, are living in the dark ages. Maybe they have intelligence about hooganism that mm. that we don't have, mm. and maybe they maybe they fear that. Um, yeah. Maybe the police are very happy with receiving large amounts of money for it. I don't know, um, but they don't seem to want to change things. Mm. The um, safety advisory groups. I'm sure would do it um, at each, each ground. And I've been in touch with the chair of the safety advisory group for St Mary's, and he's a council employee. Yeah. Um, and we, I believe that the uh, the uh, body um, there's an association of um, uh, safety stewards. I can't quite remember the name of it. They, I think I believe that they're in favour. So there's so many people who are in agreement. So this is why I say it's inevitable. But um, maybe they're privy to intelligence about hooliganism that we're not, mm. and maybe that's why they they think it's not possible to do it in in England, whereas it's possible to do it in Scotland, Germany, and other places. Um, which, if, if that is the case, it's a very sad situation. So, if they have, do have that intelligence, they should publish it, and I will be pressuring government ministers to to, to publish that intelligence and give the reasons why, rather than just not really saying the reasons why and uh, criticising West Brom for having the initiative. Yeah, cool. So in, in terms of going forward then, uh, my, my understanding from uh, doing my research is that um, this safe standing will be discussed at Full Southampton Council meeting on May the 16th, I think, Andrew. Is that right? Yeah, I'll be proposing a motion on safe standing. Yep. Um, the exact wording of it I may change, but I've already um, got first dibs on that. Yep. They'll need a, it, the process is that they'll need a second then. Hopefully my colleague Denise Wyatt from Southampton Independence will be elected to the council by then, and she'll mm -hmm. be elected on th this Thursday, and she will second the motion. Right. Um, if, if not, if she's not elected, which will be very sad, um, we will have uh, other councillors that will second the motion. 
and I, and I expect unanimity, all 48 councillors, to back it. Anyone doesn't back it, I'll be giving them grief for a long time, <laughs> and, and 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 it will be in the echo. And uh, um, I fully expect them to back it. Um, so that's. But in terms of what it says, the the, the motion urges action. A proper motion should urge action. I want the council to write to the secretary of state expressing right. its support for safe standing at St Mary's, the trial of safe standing, to write to the football club and mm -hmm. urge them to support it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really a, a call to a call to arms. But as I said, I want to see the whites of their eyes, the other councillors. I want them to contribute. I don't want them to just have warm words um, and do nothing to contribute to the campaign. This has been my initiative. Uh, no one else's. Um, and Southampton Independents have been have been pushing this um, since last year. But they say I've been a supporter of Safe Standing since 2012, since I met John Darch. And in terms of Saints fans, then uh, Andrew, if, if they want to, you know, people that listen to the podcast, um, people that go to St Mary's regularly, if they, if they want to show some support or try and help you, is that something they can do at the moment, or do we need to sort of wait for a later date? Well, they can sign the petition. It's on yep. change.org. Yep. If they go to the Southampton Independence website, they can then look for safe standing. They can see the link to the petition. I'd urge them to sign the uh, petition to Parliament, which has yep. now got, as you mentioned, I think 110,000 signatures yep. Yep. that will be debated at Parliament. So well done to everyone that signed that. That's what's needed. But we don't just want to debate. We just don't want them, don't just want them to have a chat about it. We want them to resolve at Parliament mm. to change the law. That's yep. what they need to yep. do to yep. allow Premier League and Championship clubs to uh, to install safe standing trials. It, has, it was changed, the regulation for the lower tier clubs, and uh, that's why Shrewsbury can do it. So they've done it for there, they need to do it at the larger grounds. So um, I don't want uh, this to go away, I want the pressure to increase across, the, across, our, across our wonderful nation of England. For all fans to put the pressure on, on their, their local representatives and for other councils to do motions like I'm doing. Fantastic points, uh, no, absolutely. And just finally, John, from a, a fan's point of view, you know something that I think we would all welcome at St Mary's. Finally, just to to finish this bit, if 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 it can be done in the right way and the club support it, uh, absolutely. And just imagine, you know, that red and white wall. Um, you know, we could even get the chapel singing if, if we brought in some safe standing. It, get rid of those it, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, I mean, the, the, the Northerners always done a good job. I think is uh, there will be certain parts of the ground that would obviously benefit from doing that. But I think the most important yeah. thing is, uh, yeah, it's, it's the club taking a chance if they think it's right and, and backing it and supporting people like Andrew that are obviously working hard on it. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's just no reason not to do it. Oh, could, could, I, could I add one thing? Of course. Please, Ben. Um, as I mentioned, the demonstration of, of rail seats in Southampton, I'm, I'm organising the venue for that. I'm hoping it's going to be uh, sometime over the summer. Um, if people go to sottonindies.org, S-O-T-O-N-I-N-D-I-E-S.org, they can find out about that and we'll announce it on there and people can come along and see the rail seats for themselves and then they can understand what it's all about. Brilliant. So good stuff. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks to you both for joining. Hope listeners have uh, found it interesting. And uh, as Andrew said there, you can find the petition on the uh, the government website. You can also find more on Safe Standing at www.fsf.org, which is the Football Supporters Federation. Uh, of course, you can search on Twitter using hashtag Safe Standing. My thanks to Andrew and John for joining the podcast. Next up for Saints is always a tough-looking trip to Everton for our penultimate away game of the Premier League season. 
We've a pretty wretched record up at Everton, Adam, over the years. Um, one win, four draws and 13 defeats in the last 25 years, I think it is, since the Premier League started, including that 7-1 shambles in 1996 under Sunis. Uh, I remember the uh, the one win, I'm sure lots of Saints fans do. Kevin Davis running uh, all the way from the halfway line. We won 2-0 that day. Um, if, you're a, if you're a Saints fan, we've spoken about earlier in the podcast about Everton potentially being on holiday, but it's not really a fixture you want. No, I don't think it is a fixture that you want because, um, you know, there were things going on behind the scenes there that make you think that there's a chance. Obviously, even though they were, they've been, <laughs> they've won a couple of games and they beat Huddersfield uh, at the weekend. There was obviously some dissent towards Sam Allardyce and some some protests, and there's obviously a lot of unrest there. And so you wonder if that could play a part. It's their last home game of the season, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a last chance for fans to make their voices heard and, and maybe the negativity could affect the team, blah, blah, blah. But I think all this is, is perhaps slightly, it's possible, but maybe it's a little bit clutching at straws to an extent because I can't imagine that any team really wants to sign off their, in front of their own fans by putting in a lame performance and losing to a team that are in the bottom three. I don't think anybody probably wants to do that uh, through pure professional pride even if they put their feet up after they get away from Goodison Park so yeah and with an Allardyce team you know what you're going to get don't you you know they're going to be rugged they're going to be well organized and defensively solid and we know that they've also got a little bit of quality to hurt you in the final third as well so I don't think you know it's one of those games that you look at and you go well it's not unwinnable but it is difficult and it's another one of those matches I alluded to before that you go there and you play quite well and you get a draw and under normal circumstances you would come away and be pretty chipper about that and you go yeah went to Everton played solidly got a draw good good stuff let's get take that point back home now as whereas you kind of have that feeling at the moment point an odd point here and there isn't enough now a draw at Everton might eventually prove to be enough if you follow it up but you are then put really all your eggs in the in the basket of beating Swansea and of course, you're also hoping that other results go for you as well. If you if you are really relying on on that, and then you're you've got so little margin for error that I think Saints have to try and be positive and they have to go out to win the game. Uh, the point the point could be important if they got a draw, but you know when you get to this stage now, and I look at the table, I think they're almost just as well to lose as they are to win in exactly. a funny kind of way because the, the win is is all that matters. And if as I said, if they could get into that Swansea game you know feeling like we just need not to lose this and if we can get a draw then yes all right we we are taking it to the last day still but given Swansea Huddersfield I know people have spoken about West Ham and they could get dragged into it but I suspect they've got to play Leicester they've got to play Everton at home on the last day I think they'll get enough still mm, mm. um so I still I still fancy it's the others that that yeah I, I just think that it's a game that needs to be attacked and and if it goes badly, it goes badly. But I, I I just don't think you can leave any doubts out there anymore. And um, you know, we were a bit disappointed, I think, with the way that Leicester panned out because, to my mind, that that was a game there that was there was a team that was really on holiday. And obviously, we saw what Palace had done to them. Yep. They were there for the taking. They were absolutely there for the taking. And, and Saints ended up coming away with a point. Uh, I I don't. I don't really see that that's going to be good enough from Goodison Park, as hard a game as it is. 
What have you made of Sam Allardyce this uh, this season? Obviously, he's renowned for his management style and the, the tactics that he employs. But do you, do you think he's kind of been harshly treated by Everton fans when you think of where they were when he took over in sort of late November? My opinion, he has. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I just feel a little bit like, um, what do Everton want? What do they expect? I mean, I, d- I don't really know. They seem to have these sky high expectations. Uh, and every time they're not met, they want another new manager. And I, I, I'm just not sure that's how it works. I mean, I'm not, you know, they were obviously struggling a little bit under Kuman. Personally, I, I don't know that the, the way they went about getting rid of him was the right the right thing because obviously then they were scratching around for a manager. They had Unsworth in charge, and wow, I mean we remember what a shambles they were because that was the last home league win at St Mary's. I mean they were an absolute shambles. I mean they totally just gave Saints uh, that game uh, on a plate. It was absolutely dreadful. They looked like they were going to be in absolutely massive trouble, and then Sam's come in and and done what Sam does and has rescued them and turned them into a competitive top half team again. Now he might not be the man that they want for the long term, but I think there's a bit of a lack of appreciation of what he's done in the short term, uh, because it's not that long ago that they look like they might get relegated uh, or they look like they were going to be in big trouble at least. And, and they've not had any worries about that for a very, very long time. So yeah, I think a little bit of appreciation to him. I don't really understand why, why they've, they've been like like they are but I think that it seems to me like he hasn't been properly backed that nobody's really said from behind the scenes is he there for a, a, another year or the longer term isn't he and I think as long as you leave those kind of things to fester and especially if fans think that well if we just start protesting then we will effectively have the final say and this stupid survey that they sent out obviously has <laughs> um, helped uh, undermine that undermine him still further and, yeah. and highlight that situation yeah. that then you just go well it's a self-fulfilling prophecy then you just get loads of fans protesting because the ones that there might be a majority that want him there but if there's a minority that are vocal that don't well they're going to make their feelings known loud and clear every occasion that they get to do it and i just uh i feel a bit sorry for him because i sort of heard read some of the interview with him when he was like I, I, I don't know what else you want me to do. I don't know what else I can do. Um, I'm, you know, I'm trying my best. We're doing okay. We're winning games. We're not in any danger of relegation like we were when I came in. What do you want from me? I think really is kind of the message that he's given out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I actually feel a bit of sympathy for him. Looking from the Saints' point of view, then obviously it was a good performance against Bournemouth. I was thinking about sort of starting lineups earlier. What would you suspect, Adam? Maybe the the same sort of back ten, and then possibly Shane Long for Charlie Austin, just to give a bit more mobility up there for an away game. That's exactly what I'd expect. Yeah, that's yep. exactly it. Um, totally. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, you're not gonna. Uh, they'll see a winning team. You don't want to disrupt it too much. But I think, if in reality, when you're going to Everton, um, I, I imagine that Saints is back. Three centre halves slash two wing backs are going to be a back five again at Everton. I think they will play, you know, pretty cautiously to start with. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad way to begin the game, but I think they will be pretty cautious. So I think that's exactly uh, how they'll play. But you've got to have more mobility up front, I think, away from home if you're going to play a little bit deeper. Um, and Long obviously offers you that. You, he's a great outlet. We've seen that recently. He's played that role really, really well. Mm. Um, and for all the goal threat and the things that Austin offers you, uh, actually, I think in those circumstances, it's a sensible move to have him on the bench to bring on, you know, with half an hour to go if you're if you need a goal then rather than 
uh, and changing style slightly, maybe even formation, but certainly style, uh, if you get to that stage and need it, as, but actually long just offers you the extra legs that I think that they'll need away from home to play on the counter-attack like that. So a defeat does us no good whatsoever. A draw's really not that good either. So are we all saying that this is must-win? We never say this is must-win. As Mark Hughes said, you know... Well, you, you, yeah. he, he Well, he, did, he kind of alluded that he thought it might be must-win, but at that moment in time, I looked at the Saints press officer, Jordan, and um, as he said, as he said, you guys, as in the media are far too ready to say it's must win all the time and sort of like had a chuckle to himself like ha 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 you you drama queens and I just looked over and shook my head at Jordan and just mouthed not me <laughs> not yeah. me I was like yeah. Mark Mark you are going to love Total Saints podcast if you haven't listened to it <laughs> you're going to enjoy yeah. it because if you don't like people calling things must win then you are going to like what you're going to hear on this podcast. No. The thing is though so, Adam you say that but there was a there was a quote on the BBC Sport website before the Bournemouth game that I'm I'm not sure if you may have overlooked so I'm not sure if if you've misquoted him or if he's been misquoted if he's been misquoted but he said you guys brackets the media slash Adam Leach use must win too soon but I agree with you it's black and white we need to win the game that was against Bournemouth so I mean he's effectively saying that was must win so if if that was must win then this is definitely must win. No, no, right. not having it. Cool, okay, we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> predictions then, what do you reckon? Well, I, I actually have a feeling that this will be a draw. Um, if you go for 1-1, one, one, I'm going to slap you on the wrist. Yeah, that's what I was going to go for, 1-1. Uh, one, one. Was that what you were going to go for? It was what I was going to go for, yeah. Yeah, 4 million uh, points, but there we go. Would you yeah. like me to be more positive? Yeah, I would like okay. you to be more positive. Okay, 2-1 two, two Saints. Good, I like that. Excellent. Um, I've gone for 1-1, one, one, actually. Um, Have you? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, as I said, I know... That's just... controversial. I can't... I no, that, that'll never be right. I know. Well, as I said, though, I know we've got a wretched record up there. And the thing about Everton is they have got a lot of quality on that side still, and they've got pace, and we do still look wobbly at the back. But, look, I mean, I'd, I'd rather that it wasn't a draw. I'd, uh, you know, I said this a few weeks ago, and I know Lucy commented on it at that time, but I would rather we went for the win and lost. Um, and I don't mean get humiliated, but I mean if we lose 2-1 or 3-1 trying to go for the win, I'd much rather that happen than uh, um, get a draw because I don't really want us to go to Swansea with all the pressure on that game. I think if we can pick up three points, and Everton are, you know, they, they will be beatable. We know if you can start well that the crowd will get frustrated and get on their back, and we know that they're pretty dissatisfied with the season they've had. But... I mean, the good thing is, it's not like we're going to a top six side. We've played well away from home generally this season, apart from maybe Liverpool and Spurs. So the the good thing is we've got a week to prepare for it. We know what we've got to do. Um, I'm going to predict a draw, but I do, you know, I'd rather we lost trying to go for the win. Does that make sense? That does that does make sense. And uh, yeah, I think um, the other thing to say as well is uh, another reason that Everton might be actually quite an important game is, is you know, I think Saints are... Um, are a little bit unlucky that, that obviously they've got the two away games back to back Saturday Tuesday with the Everton away Swansea away and of course they've got the late kickoff as well yeah, which, that's the other thing yeah. and, and when you've got two away games and a late kickoff that's tough as whereas yes yeah, Swansea are away on the Saturday but they're only at Bournemouth which obviously is a pretty short journey from Swansea and they've got a three o'clock as well mm-hmm. and and then they're at home on the Tuesday. So Saints are, I, I think it's, I think it's unlucky for Saints. So they are, I feel slightly disadvantaged going into that Swansea game, potentially, because it's going to be hard uh, if, if there's a massive effort at Everton yeah. for that same team to be really fresh for a game that's virtually 72 hours later. Yeah. As whereas Swansea, 
less of a journey. I know it's not that bad because Saints are flying, but even so, less of a journey. Then they don't have a journey on the Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, and obviously a couple of extra hours recovery, which sounds not a lot, but probably, you know, in reality is is worth at least a little bit of something. So, again, another reason why I think Everton is uh, is really the key for setting up Swansea. Mm, absolutely. I know Huddersfield are away on the Sunday, so but we would expect them to probably lose at Man City whatever day of the week it is. Yes, but, uh, absolutely. <laughs> fine, so, <laughs> if they well, don't, then, uh, well, they are they are staying up, aren't they? If you get anything from that game, blimey. Thanks for listening to this episode of Total Saints Podcast. It's always more enjoyable doing them when Saints win, of course. And whilst there's still a lot of work for them to do, at least we've got a chance of staying up now. As someone recently said, it's not the despair that kills you, it's the hope. My thanks as always to Adam Leach, head of must-win journalism at the Daily Echo, and also to Councillor Pope and John Bailey for joining us on this week's podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook simply by searching for Total Saints Pod. You can email us anytime at totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com, as Ian Thompson from New Zealand did, so a shout out to you, Ian. Finally, you can listen to any of our previous TSP episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud or Acast. Until next time, Saints fans, keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.